Please open your Bibles with me as I read this morning's text. Found in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 9 through 24. The book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 9 through 24. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the nation of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all gave heed to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is that power of God, which is called great. And they gave heed to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For it had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, And they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your silver perish with you, because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. There are really two sermons in this text, and so we're going to spend two weeks on it. One of the sermons has to do with Simon and how he responded to the Holy Spirit. And the other sermon has to do with the Samaritans and how they responded to the Holy Spirit. The one sermon, the one about Simon, is a warning. That's today's sermon, a warning for people who are seeing or longing to see signs and wonders, miracles. And the other, the one about the Samaritans, is an invitation about receiving the Holy Spirit. Before I get into the warning, I'd like us to pray together once more. Father, I am so keenly aware and feel so strongly that unless you come in a very manifest way to work among your people, the strengthening, the upbuilding, the edification, the purifying, the humbling, the guiding, that I long to happen and I believe this word can produce won't happen. And so I ask you to come. And I pray that unbelievers here in our midst who have not savingly believed in Jesus and repented and taken the Lord Jesus as their Savior would be brought to a deep, hearty conviction of the truth of the gospel. And made to rest 
and rejoice in Jesus Christ and the hope of everlasting life on this Mother's Day. In Jesus' name I ask it, Father, for your glory. Amen. The simplest illustration that I could think of to picture what happened to Simon, the mistake that Simon the magician made in this text is this. It's happened to every mother who's had toddlers. Happened to us four times. You have a one-year-old sitting on your lap and uh, say it's springtime and the first robin lands on the uh, limb outside the window. And you, you lift up your hand and you point and you say, look, look at the robin. And what do they look at? The finger. They always look at the finger. It takes a long learning process to know that this thing right here means don't look at it. This means don't look at me. A little kid doesn't get that. And if you watch a little baby's hands, as soon as you do that, little, little, little fingers start moving, experimenting to see if they can make that funny shape that you've just made to imitate. They never look out the window until they catch on. Now, Simon made that mistake. The signs and wonders are the extended finger. Look, look out the window to Jesus. Look at the glory of the cross. Look at Christ crucified and risen for sinners. Look at Christ reigning. Look at Christ coming. Look at his all-sufficiency. And Simon is utterly taken with the finger. And he never turns his head. Not once in this text does he turn his face away from the finger of the signs and wonders. He is blown away by the super magic. Of Philip, as far as he can tell it. And what I want to do now is uh, sound a warning that we not be like Simon. There's a warning in this text for people who are seeing or are longing to see the finger of God manifest in signs and wonders, pointing to the truth of Jesus. The warning comes in four steps. Here's number one. There is a faith, there is a believing that rises in the midst of true preaching and true miracles, which is a false, empty, dead, barren faith. That's the first point. Verse 12 says that Philip was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and about the name of Jesus. The second half of verse 13 says that Philip was doing signs and great miracles. So we know that true preaching and true miracles were happening. And verse 13 says at the beginning, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And then something happens to clue us in that this believing was not real. It was fake. It was phony, empty, dead, barren, in vain. And here's what happened. The apostles get word that the word of God has been received in Samaria. They come down, they lay their hands on the Samaritans to receive the Spirit. We'll talk about that next week. They receive the Spirit and Simon watches it happen through the laying on of hands. Verse 18. Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. He offered them money. 
saying, give me also this power that any on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And I take that long indictment to mean you are not saved. You are not truly converted. You are not born again. You are not a child of God. You have no part or lot in this matter of Christianity. Your heart is crooked and not straight toward God. You need to repent. You are enslaved to iniquity yet. Repent, Simon. I don't care what you did called faith. I don't care that you were baptized. You're not right with God. So my conclusion is there is a faith. There is a believing that is not saving. Now, let me illustrate this from the rest of the New Testament, lest you think this is an isolated teaching. Take, for example, the experience of Jesus in John chapter 2, verse 23. It says, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Same context of signs. But... Jesus did not trust himself to them because he knew all men and needed no one to bear witness of man, for he himself knew what was in man. Namely, this believing that they had because he was a sign worker was not a heart-changing, life-saving belief. Take Jesus' parable of the four soils. The word is strewn out on the earth and some of it lands on the path and some of it lands on the rocky ground. And here's what that means, according to Luke 8:13. And ones on the rocky ground are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. It's like Simon. But these have no root. They believe for a while. And in a time of temptation, they fall away. And that faith is not saving, does not keep them. Here's Paul and the way he puts it. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. I preach to you the gospel which you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold it fast, unless you believed in vain. There is an in vain believing. There is a belief that is in vain, it's empty, it's dead, it's barren, it's ineffectual, it accomplishes nothing. It is an empty response to the Lord based on something all wrong. So Luke here says in verse 13 that Simon believed and he was baptized. And he needed yet to repent his faith was dead. James says there is a barren faith and a dead faith. So you have Luke, James, Paul, Jesus, and John all saying the same thing. In the midst of true preaching, true miracles, false faith can be born. That's point number one in the warning. Let us beware lest we be so enamored by the externals 
of the power of God that the faith we think we have is not genuine saving faith. And now let's ask, well, what's wrong? And so point number two is this. The object of Simon's faith, that is the thing in which he believes, is the power of supernatural phenomena. The power of miracles. He was believing in miracles. That you can see with your eye. Not in Jesus and not in the glory of his grace. You see, Simon was a sorcerer. He was a magician of the demonic kind. And before Philip ever came on the scene, Simon was doing awesome signs and wonders. He held Samaria in thrall. Not only for a short time, but for a long time, it says in verse 12. And then here comes Philip doing signs and wonders by the power of Almighty God and the risen Christ. And immediately Simon, who's really tapped into supernatural power, he knows what it is. He's not a skeptic. He believes in supernatural power. He uses it. And he sees it and he knows it. That's it and it's stronger than mine. I just switch over. And I'll buy it if I have to. So he just goes from power to power. Philip stretched towards his finger, finger signs and wonders, and said, Look, I preach Christ. Back up in verses 5 and 6. I preach Christ. And Simon says, wow, what a finger. I really want a finger like that. That is stronger than my finger. And I've got a finger of the supernatural. And I'll buy it if I have to. And so the object of Simon's faith was the finger. Not that to which it was pointing. And that's the mistake that he made. A very fundamental one. He did not look to the glory of Jesus, the Son of God, Christ crucified, all sufficient, atoning for sins, risen in glory, reigning at the Father's right hand, ruling over a holy and humble people. None of that was the object of Simon's faith. That's point number two. The object of false faith is an inadequate object. Well, what was the nature now of this faith? Point number three. The experience of the faith, the nature of the faith, what was going on inside of Simon was just this, amazement, amazement, not humble trust, not repentance, not brokenness for sin, but amazement at the power of God. That's all. Look at this word amaze. I think Luke is telling us something here by the threefold use of the word amaze in this text. First in verse nine. It says that Simon amazed the nation of Samaria with his magic, with his sorcery. Then in verse 11, it says it again, that for a long time he had been amazing the Samaritans by his magic arts. And then a very interesting switch happens in verse 13, second half of the verse. It says, but Simon, seeing the signs and great miracles performed, namely by Philip, was amazed. Now, do you get it? You see what Luke, I think, is saying here, who wrote this and used that word amazed like that? He's saying, Simon was devoting his life for a long time to getting amazement for himself, saying that he himself was somebody great, back in verses 9 and 10. Getting amazement. Along comes somebody who can do better power 
And so immediately that same frame of mind just kicks in to reverse itself. And he stands in amazement of this other person who has more power than he has. And that's all his faith was. No skepticism about the supernatural. No rejection. Fully embracing, I believe in your power. I believe you, Philip. You're a miracle worker. I believe you are a worker for God. And I want what you've got. That's all his faith was. And it wasn't real because amazement at supernatural power is not saving faith. Believing in supernatural power, even if Jesus does it, is not saving faith. Verse 22 says, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. What was missing in Simon's life was heartfelt recognition of sin, brokenness for sin, crying out to Jesus for forgiveness and accepting and trusting him humbly that when he died and rose, the debt was paid and he is a worthy Lord and guide for my life now. So the finger was extended. Look at Jesus. My signs and wonders are not to draw attention to me. They're to draw attention to Jesus who loves sinners and dies that you might live, Simon. And Simon's just utterly fascinated with this finger. And he believes in this finger. He has faith in this finger. This finger is real power. And he's not saved. What's wrong? Let's go to the root of the matter. Number four, the root of Simon's false faith is a crooked heart. I see that in verse 21. The root of his false faith is a crooked heart. Peter says, Simon, you have neither part nor lot in this matter. You've totally missed it, in other words. For your heart, your heart is not right. And the literal translation is your heart is not straight. Before God, it's crooked. You have a crooked heart, Simon. You need to get your heart made right before the Lord. You see, my analogy of the little one-year-old sitting on the lap, it just breaks down here because all of us look at that little child and say, oh, this is wonderful, this is cute, I like this, this is funny. He's looking at my hand. And nobody gets upset about anything. Simon is not a one-year-old, and he is not innocently looking at this finger. Simon is a crooked man. Simon's heart is bent. Simon has devoted his whole life to doing power so that he could be somebody great. And now along comes somebody with greater power, and he wants that power. And he believes in it. He has faith in it so that he can now, with that power, be somebody greater. And that's the crookedness of his heart. He's just a proud man. He's a vain man. Well, there it is. There's the warning that I see in this text for those who are seeing or want to see signs and wonders. Let me sum it up. One, there is such a thing as a false faith. It's not real. doesn't save. But it's faith of some kind. Second, The object of that faith may be supernatural signs and wonders, not Jesus, not the glory of his grace in the face of Christ and the image of God. Third, its nature or its experience is amazement, not brokenness, not humble trust in Jesus, just amazement at 
the wonders that Philip was performing. And fourth, its root is very deep, a heart that is not straight, a crooked heart, a vain heart, a proud heart toward God. Now, let me close with a a warning about the warning. A plea not to misapply the warning. There are a lot of people today who, having heard what I've just said and who would read this text, would say, hmm, if signs and wonders, miracles, healing, deliverance from demons, supernatural guidance is liable to that much distortion and misleading faith, then I think we'd best just avoid that. Steer clear. And not only that, the argument would go even stronger. We live in America in a day of heightening sorcery, witchcraft, Satanism, occult, new age stuff. And you come along with more of the same with signs and wonders. Won't you fall prey to all the individualism, emotionalism, subjectivism, and relativism when there is so precious, little, solid, reasonable, objective, Bible-based teaching? My response to that is, let there be no lessening of reasonable, solid, objective, Bible-based teaching, which is our only authority and rock. But when I think about the need of America, the New Age, the occult, the subjectivism, the relativism, the Satanism, the witchcraft, the sorcery, you know what I think of? Samaria. Verse 12 says, no, it's verse 11, second half of the verse, that for a long time in Samaria, Simon had been filling these people with sorcery, with New Age junk. This people were sitting ducks for supernaturalism. They were sitting ducks for subjectivism. They were sitting ducks for signs and wonders. It was coming out their ears. And when the deacon, not the apostle, the deacon, Philip arrived, he did two things. He preached. Verses 5 and 12. The kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. Objectively, authoritatively, biblically. And secondly, he did signs and wonders. He healed the sick and he delivered people with demons. Verses 7 and 13. Right in the middle of all that mess that had been created by Simon. So here I am in the 20th century and wise and humble people advise you're only playing into the spirit of the age when you try to cultivate a subjective discernment of the voice of the Lord called prophecy or when you 
ask God to demonstrate his power through healing a sick person or through delivering a person from satanic harassment. Am I to follow that wisdom which sounds so wise? Or am I to look to Philip and say, what would you do if you were here today, Philip? And hear him say, I wouldn't do anything different. Why would I do anything different? I'm a deacon. Then I could be a deacon now. Holy Spirit is here now. He was here then. There's Satanism and occult and sorcery and Simon-like people all over the place in America, just like there was then. Why would I do anything different? I don't think he would do anything different. I don't think we ought to do anything different. Now, here's a reason. Let me close with this. Um, why I don't think he'd do anything different. Think hard about this now. This is very important. Because not praying for healing, not praying for demonstrations of power through deliverance from demonic oppression, not praying for supernatural guidance through words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy, not praying for any of that, does not solve the problem of fixating on the finger. Not one bit. For example, right now you are hearing a sermon. It's a finger. It's pointing to truth in Scripture and through truth to Jesus, who is the reality beyond signs and wonders by which we are saved alone. And you know what many, many people are going to talk about when they walk out of this room this morning? They're going to talk about he was loud or he was soft. He was long or he was short. He was sweating because it was hot. He did a nice job with the children. He forgot Dean Palermo's baby's middle name. (laughs) Or some other part of the finger. You know you do that. I do that. So it is not signs and wonders that have this unique vulnerability. Or take the drama of the children's ministry last Sunday night. Pointing, powerfully pointing, there is a narrow way. Stay on the narrow way. You must persevere to the end in faith. Don't give up. The angel of the Lord will stand by you. He'll always be there. Always care about the little guy. Never be proud. How many of us went home that night broken because we don't live that way? How many of us went out saying, wow, they must work real long to memorize all that. Wow, look at all that good acting. Wow, Mary Beth did a real good job. Wow, did you see the moving? Wow, wasn't that neat? Wow, 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 wow. Look at the finger. Look, if we're going to hear the warning this morning, let's be fair. Or what about tracts like Quest for Joy or books like The Pleasures of God or dramas like The Refreshment Committee or choir anthems like Children of the Heavenly Father. Every single one of them is fingers and every single one of them get fixated upon and people don't look away to Jesus. You know what that leads me to think? I'm just desperate for the Holy Spirit and so are you. If you love tracts, use tracts. 
If you love singing, sing to your heart's content. If you love to preach, preach. If you love to teach, teach. If you love to do drama, do drama. If you love organ or anthem, do it. But don't you ever say that those things are above being fixated on like signs and wonders are. In fact, let's try this. Let's make a list. And put at the top, in order, the things that attract least attention to themselves and most attention to Jesus. And put at the bottom the fingers that attract uh, most attention to themselves and least attention to Jesus. And then just stick in there drama, anthems, organ praise, tracts, books, sermons, song. Signs and wonders. I believe with all my heart, signs and wonders will not be at the bottom of that list. No way. Not as I look at America today. I know things that get fixated on a lot more than signs and wonders. Oh, yes, I do. And so do you. And so let's hear the warning, brothers and sisters. Let's hear it. Let me hear it, Lord, because I believe we ought to pray. Grant thy servants to speak your word with boldness while you stretch forth your hand to heal and signs and wonders are done in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I believe that's the way to pray. So let me hear this warning, Lord, that I never fixate on the finger. But always look away to the glory of my Savior who loved me and gave himself for me, by which alone I can be saved. And grant that those of us who are invested in another kind of ministry will take heed. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven. I love your word. It is so helpful to me. It keeps me straight and on the the narrow way. And I pray for discernment ever for all of us. Oh, that we might be wise. I pray that everybody in this room would realize how desperate we are for the Holy Spirit to come down and turn people's eyes away from whatever finger we are pointing to you. Finger of music, a finger of drama, a finger of books a finger of personal testimony. Any finger can be a hang-up for somebody. And oh, I just plead, Father, that as our praying team stand here at the front at the end of this service, you would come down and grace them with whatever gifts they need in order to minister life and wholeness and joy and salvation to people. And I just invite those of you whom God has touched with some sensed need in this service, that you would just stop by for a moment and ask one of these teams here at the front, would you pray for me about, and then just tell them what the issue is. I know that God is moving here to help us, guide us, instruct us, correct us, and keep us balanced. And I just pray that you would come, Father, and minister to us even as we leave now. We praise you together for your word and for your promise. And all the people said, Amen.